downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Thank you, and I appreciate your kindness for welcoming us to Las Vegas, and I've met many of you, and I'm sorry if I don't remember your names, but I've learned so many names over the last few months that I'm trying my best. This place right here where I'm standing is one of my favorite places to stand because about eight and a half years ago, this is where I got married. So many of you know my wife, Amber. She grew up here. She graduated in 2010 from Liberty, and then we got married, and we were in Florida for about eight and a half years. And when I was looking at this picture, it made me think, aren't you thankful that God doesn't give you screenshots of the future? Like, can you imagine if I was, so this guy in the middle right here, that's Pastor Matt. He looks a lot different, a lot younger. But, and that's Bethany Tice, too, our flower girl. She's the little girl in the white dress. But, uh, can you imagine if right before Amber came down these doors, Pastor Matt had sh- pulled out his iPad and said, hey, this is going to be a you in eight and a half years. You're going to be preaching right here. Your wife's going about to have your fourth kid in eight and a half years. I'd be like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I, would be, I would be scared, and I would live the next eight and a half years wondering, wait, why am I moving here, or what's going on here? And I would not be able to plan my life how I want it, but I'm thankful that God just says, hey, I just want you to trust and then take the next step, and then he gives us peace. And so I'm excited, and we are glad and thankful to be here in Las Vegas and appreciate you guys, and I look forward to meeting many of you. I'm going to continue the series that Pastor Shore started last week, Built Earth Tough. You ever thought, why did God not take me straight to heaven when I died? Anybody ever wish that? Sometimes I thought about that. But God left us here because we have a purpose. We have a reason why God left us here. And that's the series we are in in Ephesians chapter 4, as we're talking about how, why does God have us here on this earth, built earth tough. God has equipped us with a spiritual gift. And we're looking at the book of Ephesians. Today we're going to talk about the prophet. And this is where Pastor Shore showed us last week he gave us the, the history, the background of Ephesians. Now, he admittedly, when we were talking about planning out the sermons, he said, it is impossible to get all of the context of this spiritual gifts. And so I said, well, you do 50% of it, and then I'll do the other 50%. So that's what he did last week. So we're going to start off with a little bit of context before we jump into the apostles and then the prophets And I think it really helps us understand and give some weight behind it. So this is what Pastor uh, Shore talked about last week. It's the Ephesians, the purpose of the book of Ephesians. And really the key at the bottom there is it's all about unity. How can we be unified in the body of Christ using our spiritual gifts? And that's what we're going to talk about. And Pastor Shore highlighted the unity. And we saw that with verses three through six. So if you have a Bible, you can be, look at there. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter four, verse three through six. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity. So as we read, think about all these words that are pointing to unity. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond 
of peace. There's another phrase about unity. There is one body, one spirit, even as ye are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Did you see those key words? And Pastor Shore talked about that last week. He said, bond of peace, unity, one. We are all one as a body of believers. But within that unity, there's also diversity. Look at verse 7. It says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We are unified, but that conjunction right there, but it says what every one. God has given you a specific spiritual gift. It's chosen just for you. We are not just cookie-cutter Christians. That's one big difference about living in Las Vegas is just the houses are just all together, lined streets. I grew up in Georgia, and there's like acres between houses, and, but it's different. But we are not cookie-cutter Christians. We are not robots that said, okay, you're a Christian, now you're supposed to be just like this. No, we are, and we've been given a sp- spiritual gift specifically for you. Now, I grew up in Georgia. Anybody from Georgia? Anybody grew up in Georgia? Okay, not many people. All right. Well, in Georgia, it's a, it's a very southern state, and I used to have a really, really thick southern accent, but it, I've kind of lost it in the last few years. But uh, sometimes it just comes back out. Whenever I cross the Georgia line, it comes back out sometimes, but it, it's not that bad anymore. But when I grew up in Georgia, there was, every time it rained in our yard, hundreds of piles of dirt full of ants. And not just ants, they were fire ants. And fire ants were a lot of fun to play with as a kid because we would play games like who could keep their foot in there the longest or their hand in there the longest. And if you are in a, a pile of fire ants for about two seconds, you're, you're going to be tore up. It's going to cost you about a week. You get the little zits and the poisonous zits all over your foot. It's terrible. But a lot of times I think we have that view of God. We picture God as sitting up in heaven with his feet propped up, looking down, and he, he sees the earth with just people just everywhere, just scattered about. But that's not how God sees us. He doesn't just see us as this big conglomerate, unified group. He sees us as individuals. He sees and knows every part of us. In, in Psalm 139, it says, he has searched us and, known, and knows us. He knows our downsitting and our uprising. He knows our thoughts afar off. He knows every detail about your life. He's an intimate, personal God. And so he has chosen a spiritual gift for you if you're a Christian. And so we have some diversity. And Paul, so we could say that we have unity with diversity. We're all one church, but yet that church is made up of individuals, and God has given you that spiritual gift. And so Paul gives us a, an illustration in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bible, not all the verses are on the screen. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because we're going to read a few verses in the Bible. Because as we talk about spiritual gifts, Ephesians 4 is a great passage, and there's also 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 that give a lot more details. 
about spiritual gifts. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says the manifestation. So God gives out of the Spirit, is given to every man to profit with all. Right there in that verse, you see unity, every man to profit with all, the common good. God has given you a specific gift for the purpose of unity. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. This other verse right here, in verse 12, it says, For as the body is one, so unity, and hath many members, individual, diversity, and the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Here, he uses the human body to illustrate diversity and unity with our spiritual gifts. Look at verse 12. We just read verse 12, so let's, let's go to verse 14. Here's what it says. For the body is not one member. So he's talking about the human body. But if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Okay, that's kind of a silly hypothetical question there, right? He says, what if the foot one day says, you know, I am sick and tired of your stinky, smelly socks, your shoes. I do not want to be a part of your body anymore. Does that mean it's not part of the body? No, it's still part of the body, right? It still serves a function. Look at verse 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 16. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Once again, how many people have come up and said, wow, you have such beautiful ears. The way that your lobes are just hanging from your ear. No, people don't say that. They say, wow, you have, you have beautiful eyes. You have brown or green or blue eyes, right? And the ear says, I'm sick and tired of that. The eyes get all of the attention. Why do I get no attention? I want nothing to do with the body. Well, what would happen? Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye... Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc., right? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where was the smelling? But now God hath set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 18, he says, your gift is unique. The, the gift that God has given you is unique. And in verse 18, it says, it has pleased him. God took time and gave you an individual gift. And God says, I am giving this because it makes me and glorifies me, makes me happy. So to not use your spiritual gift is to say, God, why'd you make me an ear? Why am I the foot? You're saying, God, I, I, I don't really want what you gave me because your gift is specifically chosen and given by God. Look at verse 19. He continues on. He says, and if they were all one member, where were the body? If, if the entire body was an eye or an ear, there would be no body. There would be no unity. So he says, it's important, your gift. Verse 20, but now they are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. 
nor again to the head, the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are, what's that word? Necessary. Your gift that God has given you is necessary. You are necessary to the body of Christ. We need you. You're not just a fan. You're not just someone who's sitting on the sidelines cheering for the pastors or cheering for the volunteers or cheering for the people next to you. You are necessary. We need you. And you're like, well, I'm just the little hammer or the anvil, little bone in the ear. That's important. God is saying that your gift is necessary. When you do not use your gift in the church, you are breaking up the, disu- the unity in the body. When you do not serve and use your gift, then there is disunity within the church. And Paul here is saying, you're important. Whether you're the ear or the eye or the brain or the foot, we need you. So when you're not at Liberty Baptist Church, when you're not serving, there's disunity because we're missing part of our body. Sometimes we get a gift. We just had Christmas, and I'm sure that a gift that you received this last Christmas is either in a drawer, stuffed in your closet, or you threw it away, right? There's probably some gifts that you got, or somebody, or you gave a gift, and someone, you, you go over to their house, and you open up the, the coat closet, and you're like, hey, I gave you that gift. You know, they don't use it, right? But God doesn't give out worthless gifts, God doesn't look at you and give you a spiritual gift and says, hey, use it if you want to. He's saying, this is, I'm giving you this because it's necessary and you're needed. He finishes up and he, he actually takes it a step farther. You're like, okay, it's unique. God gave it to me. It's necessary. Okay. He takes it a step farther in verse 23. He says, and those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, Upon these we bestow more abundant honor. Your gift has honor. It's not just that you're necessary, like, oh, well, I guess, we, I guess we need you. I guess we need the foot. I guess we need the pinky toe. No, he says it has honor. It brings honor to God. You may think that your service to God, that your spiritual gift is insignificant, but he says, no, it is honorable. And he sums it up in verse 27. He says, you're the body, unified, but there's diversity. There's members in particular. So that right there is the context. And that's back, now we can go back to Ephesians chapter four. And that's verse seven. But unto everyone is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. He says there is unity with diversity. Now there's one more quick little bit of context before we jump into prophets, and that's in verses 8 through 10. So in, first, or in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, we see this, this statement. It shows us Christ's right to give spiritual gifts. Like, Who gave Christ the right? Why does Jesus get to be the person to give out the gifts? Well, look at verse 8. He says, Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, 
He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he has ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is not the same. Also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fulfill all things. Jesus has the right to give us gifts because he is the one that conquered sin and death. This is actually a reference. This is a reference back to a prophecy from Psalm 68, 18, where it says, thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts of men. This is a beautiful picture because when a king would conquer another country, specifically the, the Israelite king, they would bring back all of the prisoners. They would have all the prisoners, they would have all of the, the spoils of war, and they would parade it down the street. So you can imagine, like, this is the street leading up to Mount Zion, which was the highest point in the city. They would parade all of this down the city, and they would show everybody, hey, we defeated the other king. But often the highlight of that walking down was him bringing back the captured prisoners. You see that word, captivity, captive? When he says that, he says it back here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8, too. He says, captivity, captive. The other king had some prisoners of war. So he went, and he goes back. He gets those prisoners of war that were his own soldiers, and he leads them down, and then he gives them the gifts. He takes of the spoils and he passes them out to those who are recaptured captures. It would be easy for, to say, well, well, they got themselves caught. I mean, they're not as good as other people. Or they made a mistake, and so they, they went into enemy territory. But no, the picture is that these are now some of the most prestigious of the soldiers. And he gives them gifts. That's the beauty of the gospel. There's a picture of the gospel right here, because it says that Jesus Christ, who created us, he made us, and what do we do? We, we sinned. We betrayed our king, and we were captured by the enemy, but Jesus Christ comes in, he takes us, he redeems us, and he doesn't just say, all right, you messed up, now live your life. No, he gives us freedom, and then he gives us gifts, and it's a beautiful picture here of the gospel. And it, it reminds us that this spiritual gift points us back to Jesus. It points us back to the gospel. And us using our gift is saying, God, thank you for coming and rescuing me when I was a, a, a terrible sinner. And it's just a really cool picture. And that leads us right here into the spiritual gift of prophecy. So last week, we jumped in and we said, we're going to go through and, and, and how do we live our lives as Christians now that we're still on earth and, and we are looking forward to heaven? Well, here it says, he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're going to look at this word right here that says prophet. 
Now, what was prophecy? So the word prophecy means to speak forth or to proclaim. Now, many times when we think of a prophet, somebody name an Old Testament prophet. Nathaniel, Elijah, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Yes, we could just name all the Old Testament prophets, right? So when we think about prophets, most of the time we only think about a couple different things. But a prophetic message really had five parts to it. The first part was revelatory. This was something that was new information. So God comes to a prophet and he says, hey, I have a message. I want you to take this message, deliver it to my people because they've never heard it before. So we've, we see that. We know that. The other part is predictive. A prophet would be given a message from God and would say, hey, this is going to happen. This event is going to happen. Most of the time when we think about prophecy <clears throat> or we talk about prophets, this is what we think about. But they had a lot more responsibilities than just predicting the future and sharing what was coming up. They also proclaimed it. Many times a prophet would say, would come to the people and God would say, hey, I want you to go remind them. How many times does, does a prophet come to the Israelites and say, hey, did you forget? Do you remember what God said? They're not necessarily giving new information. They're not predicting the future, but they're saying, hey, God said this. Did you forget about it? And he reminds them. But also he would explain. Sometimes God would say, hey, I said this in the law, or I said this several hundred years ago, but, <coughs> sorry. He said, I want to explain it. I want you to take your, your time and, and really break it down of what it means. And then lastly, they would just come along and encourage. <clears throat> they would say, hey, listen, you know what God said. You know that God said this is going to happen. You understand it. I've explained it. Can you just do it? Can you just obey? And so prophecy really had five parts to it. And that helps us as we understand what prophecy looks like in the New Testament. When we get to the New Testament, we still see the office of a prophet. Now, the word prophet is listed 144 times in the New Testament. It's a, it's a well-used word. And this word prophet, almost every time it's used, refers to an Old Testament prophet, a New Testament prophet, or it refers to Jesus. So all, those are the three main times we see the word prophet. So look in verse 11. It says, Ephesians 4.11, it says he gave some apostles and some prophets. So here in verse 11, he is talking about the office of a prophet. And that's important because we want to make a distinction here. The office of a prophet was, number one, officially ordained or commissioned by God. So God would come and say, hey, you are called to be a prophet. Just like people were called to be a priest, just like people were called to be a king, it was an official office, and it was officially ordained and commissioned by God. The other thing that we see from a prophet is that direct instruction was given from God. God spoke directly to that prophet, whether it was through casting lots sometimes, whether it was through a vision, whether it's through a dream, a burning bush, all different ways 
God spoke to prophets, and he spoke directly to them. What was the other part of a prophet? They mainly fulfilled the revelatory and predictive function of prophecy. The office of a prophet was one who receives this information from God and then tells you, hey, this is what's going to happen, or this is new information. All right? So now we're in the New Testament age. Now we're in the New Testament ordaining of the church. Well, the New Testament church did not have the complete canon of Scripture. What year was the book of Ephesians? Does anybody remember back from the beginning? A.D. 60. Does anybody know when the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, was completed? 95. 35 years later. So at this point, when Paul is writing, they do not have the completed canon of Scripture. A canon was really the collection of books. So your Bible that you hold in your hand is the canon. It's 66 books. These books have been tested. They've been verified. They match up. That's why the, you don't have the book of Jasher or we don't use the book of Mormon because this is the completed revelation of God. It's the canon. It's the completed scripture. Well, they didn't have that. And so God used the office of a prophet to, to reveal this information, to give new information or to say, hey, this is going to happen. Well, then things changed in AD 95 and he, he kind of alludes to this, because look back. If you have a Bible, you can turn and look at it. It's on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the church is founded upon Jesus Christ. We all agree on that. We know that. He's the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation of the church. Well, as he is starting the church, he uses apostles and prophets. Now, this is possibly a controversial statement if you talk to another denomination. So if you want to share this with your charismatic friends, you can do that. But the official office of an apostle and a prophet have ended. Pastor Shore clearly laid out. Now, the apostle is the easy one, right? Since I'm the new guy, they gave me the hard one. They gave me the difficult one. They gave me the one that people disagree on. Good men disagree on it. But the apostle, what was the qualification for an apostle? You had to see what? The resurrected Christ, all right? Well, eventually, what happened to all those people? They died, yes. So that one's easy, right? That one's no longer well, a prophet when, did prophet, when did the prophets cease to exist? Yes, right, that's great. I don't know. But at some point when the, when the end of Scripture was completed, there was no new revelation. God does not speak audibly to people. He doesn't come in dreams and visions. Jesus says, when I go back, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You have something greater inside of you who can interpret Scripture. So the office of a prophet is no longer needed because we have the completed word of God. Prophets received that divine revelation from God and then spoke something new. But we know that doesn't happen today. So where does that take us? Prophecy today. If prophets, the office of a prophet, no longer exist in the church, 
then why is prophecy the most mentioned spiritual gift in the New Testament? That's a good question. That's a fact. You can't argue with that. God has over and over and over again said, and and Paul, all throughout his scripture, he says, pursue prophecy. Seek after prophecy. Desire that you can prophesy or that you can be around prophecy. So I think we have to kind of break it down and we have to say this. All prophets had the gift of prophecy, but not all with the gift of prophecy are prophets. Say that six times fast. (laughs) A prophet was an ordained office that God had set up. But there was many people who had the gift of prophecy, because remember, prophecy was fivefold. It wasn't just predictive. It wasn't just new information, but it was proclaiming. It was explaining. It was exhorting people. And so when we look at prophecy, we can say that prophecy is a spirit-given, spirit-empowered ability to proclaim and explain the Word of God for the exhortation of believers. We no longer need to hear directly from God. And people are like, well, I just want to hear from God. You can. Just read your Bible. And people are like, well, I want to hear it audibly. A pastor said, just read it out loud. (laughs) And then you'll be able to hear the voice of God. And if you don't like your own voice, there's audible books on your phone that you can listen to. And you can hear from God. But beyond that, there is the gift of prophecy, which is proclaiming, explaining the word of God. Why? For what purpose? To encourage believers. One who is able to explain God's word in a way that is clear and pierces through the hearts in a unique way. We could say one who is able to effectively exhort and encourage people by proclaiming the word of God. And you're like, well, that, that kind of sounds like the gift of a pastor. Well, a pastor is someone who shepherds a flock. And you're like, well, that, that sounds like an evangelist. Well, an evangelist is someone who takes the gospel to people who've never heard it before. You're like, well, that sounds like a teacher. Well, it's different because a teacher is explaining the application. They're taking the, the truths and the context. And so a, a prophet, the, the one with a gift of prophecy is a spirit-led proclamation of Scripture that leads a believer to action and, and leaves them feeling encouraged. Have you ever felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to proclaim or share Scripture with someone? Because this is not just talking about a pastor. We, as Christians, are supposed to proclaim and share the Word of God with others. Have you ever had this happen where you... Where you you're walking or you're with a coworker or a friend or a family member and, and you, just, you start to share something from God's word and they respond and say, how did you know about that? Who told you that? Have you been talking to my mom? Have you been listening to my phone calls? Where you had no knowledge of their situation, but maybe someone came to you. Maybe you were listening to a message and you thought, is the pastor following me around? Did did the pastor know exactly what I was going through this week? Because that illustration was exactly what I talked about this last week. I feel like that falls under the gift of prophecy, where someone is led by the Spirit to share the Word of God, 
and it pierces through the heart. It, it convicts in a way that you can't explain it, only by the Spirit of God. Well, look at this verse right here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, quench. Do not dis, dis, uh, dis uh, it's like the, I can't say the word, but it's like to quench out, to put out the fire, right? When God prompts your heart to share scripture with someone, don't quench it. But then he says in verse 20, despise not prophesyings. That's the very next verse. He's saying, do not be the kind of person that's a skeptic and automatically like, oh, God would never have me do that. Or no way, I'm not doing that. But then verse 21, it says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Because if somebody were to come to you and say, hey, I have a prophecy for you. I believe that God is leading you to give me a hundred dollars. And I'm going to take that $100 to the gas station and I'm going to put it in the penny slots and then I'm going to win $1,000 and I'll split it with you. Okay, so oftentimes when we hear people on, on television or you see someone who's proclaiming the future, we despise it. But that's when we have to prove it, right? We have to put it up against Scripture because we have the revealed, completed Word of God. And you could easily say, you know what? That's not of the Bible. That's not true, right? But when someone shares scripture with you, when someone proclaims the word of God and it pierces your heart, don't quench the spirit. And then it says, hold fast to that which is good. And say, God, that's, that's got to be from you. So what's the purpose of prophecy today? First Corinthians 14, verse 3 it has this exact saying right here. It says, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men for three reasons, edification, exhortation, and comfort. He says it's for edification. When you are proclaiming the word of God, led of the Spirit, it builds up the body. It unifies the body. So if what you are saying is tearing down the body— it's not prophesying. It's for exhortation. It's to encourage one another. And then lastly, it says it's to comfort. The purpose of prophesying, edification, encouragement, exhortation, and comfort. So where do we end? Well, at the very end, in, in, in Revelation 19.10, the, the, revel, the, prophecy, the book of prophecy it reminds us in Revelation 19.10 that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It all comes back to the gospel. The spirit of prophecy is Jesus. And if prophecy strays away from Jesus, if prophecy strays away from the Bible, it's not prophecy. And so maybe you're thinking like, okay, do I have this gift? And only God knows. But as we go through the gifts— Go back to the beginning of where we started and know that, number one, your gift is unique, that God gave it to you. It may not be prophecy. It may be something else, and that's okay. Your gift is necessary. We need you. And then lastly, your gift has honor. God has said you bring honor, and when you use your gift, it builds unity in the church. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would 
take your word and that we would make sure that we understand it and that we listen and that we can apply it to our lives. I pray that all of us in here who are, who are saved and have received this Holy Spirit, that we would realize that no matter what our gift is, we have, we have purpose, it's unique, you gave it to us, we're needed, and it has honor. And I pray that if there's any in here who, who feel as if they have that gift of proclaiming and explaining the Word of God, that they would not quench that, that they would not put that aside, but they would actually follow and, and pursue and, and use that gift for your glory, for the unification of, of our church. We love you, Lord, and we're thankful for all that you've done. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.